All right. I'm looking forward to newcomers being over tonight so that we can shoot another announcement and not have to have that one. Um, <laughs> if, uh, if you are interested in coming tonight, uh, I think we have a couple spots available. You can uh, register online uh, for that. Well, we're in this uh, series on neighboring. It's this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, as we see in Scripture. And last week, we talked about loving people who are different than us, right? And, uh, and for, for many, it was uh, an opportunity for uh, healing to take place and, and for us to, as a church, just really take a stand and be able to say, yeah, we're, we're not going to tolerate intolerance, right? Um, today, we get to, to talk about and, and see the lonely loved, that's what I want to talk about today. I, I think it's interesting to me that in the, in the scriptures, what we see is uh, at the very beginning, when, when God is creating the earth, he says that everything is good, right? He, he creates the, the, the moon and the stars and the sun. He says it's good. He, he, he creates the ocean. He says it's good. He creates the animals, and he says it's good, in fact, the only thing he says is not good is when he looks at Adam and sees him standing there alone, and he says, no, that's not good. It's not good, right? The, 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 in all of creation, he's saying that, that being alone as a human being is not good. If I were to ask you the question this morning, who do you think is lonely? Like, well, what kind of people are lonely? Uh, my guess is that many of us would be, well, probably a lot of other people, right? We wouldn't necessarily put that on ourselves. We would say, well, uh, maybe the elderly people are lonely. Maybe uh, a widow or a widower are lonely. Maybe, uh, maybe people who have gone through divorce, maybe those people are lonely. What I, what I want to do today is I want to kind of expand our thinking a little bit. Expand our thinking on who actually might be lonely, right? Expand our, our thinking on those who battle with loneliness. In fact, there's this new term that's, that's kind of out, this uh, psychology term. It's this, uh, this term that's called relational poverty. It's, it's this growing problem, especially for, for those of us in America, for those, of, those who are in developed country, this idea of relational poverty is becoming this big problem. It's the idea that you can be around a lot of people and yet feel very, very alone. You, you could sit in a, in a crowded church building and feel very lonely. You could be a, a stay-at-home mom and still have this feeling and this longing for something more in your life. You could work around a lot of people, and even though you may enjoy your job, you may enjoy your work, you don't really like it because you're plagued with this longing, this sense that there's got to be something more to this life. If you're in a dysfunctional marriage, what do you feel? You, you could be sleeping right next to someone, and yet you feel very, very alone. You might be married to someone who doesn't share with you in this faith journey that you're on, and that can feel very, very lonely. You might be a successful business person. You might have risen to uh, the top level of what you do, 
and yet you don't have anyone that you can open up to, and you feel alone. See, relational poverty is is lacking intimacy and connection to live a meaningful life. You, you, You may have people around you, but you don't feel like people care. You, 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 might have, you might have people all around you, yet you don't have anyone that you can trust. You can be in a very crowded place, and yet, what do you experience? You experience what so many others do. You experience a nagging sense of loneliness. So why is it that there is such a growing problem in developed countries? Why is it that we struggle with this? Well, I'll give you four theories from social experts who are much smarter than I am as to why relational poverty is such a big issue. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's the breakdown of families. That's one of the contributing factors. In fact, some of you maybe have even experienced this, right? You went through a big divorce. She gets these friends. He gets those friends. And now all of a sudden you've got this breakdown of relationship. Maybe it's increased mobility, right? Meaning people don't stay in one place very long anymore. It used to be that generations of people would stay in one community, And yet now, everybody moves everywhere. We just go, we transplant, we go to different communities, we go to different locations, never staying anywhere long enough to build real relationships. Number three, it's the heavy workloads. We're we're busy, right? You walk up to somebody, even here in church, you walk up to say, how are you doing? I'm busy. And you go up to somebody else, how are you doing? I'm busy. Oh, okay, well, how are you doing? How are you doing? No, it's I'm busy. I'm busy, right? I'm I'm busy. That's and and it's even with not just connecting intimately with other people, but even in our own homes, right? For some, we for the moment the alarm goes off to the point at which we put our head back on the pillow, the only interaction we have with our family are the details, the logistics. And number four. Interestingly enough, and really ironically enough, with all of its benefits, what also causes loneliness is the rise of social media, right? We we still might get a glimpse into someone's life, but we're not getting a deep sense of intimacy, right? Well, what do we do when we feel alone? We take a selfie, we put it on uh, on social media, and and we, we wait for the response. We wait for the likes. We wait for the comments. And then when we don't get them, it just perpetuates our feeling of loneliness. No matter how many people you know, no matter how connected you are, every one of us at some point in our life have found ourselves in a place of relational poverty, a disconnection. And every single one of us are connected to more people than we realize who are hurting and feel completely alone. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to pray. I believe that as we pray, even this morning, we just take just a few minutes and pray. I believe that the Lord will put someone on your heart. Someone on your heart, someone sitting maybe two seats down, maybe someone sitting right next to you that you know before the day's over, you're supposed to give them a hug. You're supposed to invite them to coffee 
So somebody's going to think about the person at the office that consistently gets overlooked or, or the 15-year-old at your school who f- just feels utterly out of place. And then, as God's people, we're going to be a solution to this issue. So can we just take a moment and pray? Father, we, just as we sit here, as we, as we present ourselves to you, we recognize that all around us there are people who feel alone. But God, I also recognize that for many in this room, they feel alone. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just have an open heart to how you would have us respond to loving our neighbor as ourselves this morning. God, put on our hearts and put into our minds someone that we could make a difference in their life for. In Jesus' name. So how do we love the lonely? There's lots of ways we can do that. We, this morning, we're just going to look at three ways in which I think, if you look in, throughout the scriptures, what you find are the most common ways in which Jesus employed love himself. The first is, if, if you're taking notes, the first is, we're going to love with touch. I want you to look at this amazing passage of scripture. It's from Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. The Bible says, there's this man with leprosy. He came and he kneels before Jesus. And look at what he says. He says, Lord, if you're willing, right? Notice he doesn't ask a question. He's not asking, God, could you do this? He's saying, he's really making a statement. He says, Lord, if you're willing, will you make me clean? No question. He knew what God could do. He knew God was capable of healing him. And so he makes the statement, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Let's understand just a little bit about what leprosy is. It's not a super common disease in our culture today, but it certainly was in the time of Christ. In antiquity, there was even Old Testament uh, Levitical laws that were written for people who had leprosy, of what they could do and what they couldn't do. For people who were around people with leprosy, here's what you can do and what you can't do. If you receive, if you have leprosy, it starts with muscle aches, right? And then it starts, and then it moves into joint pain and fatigue and And when someone becomes a leper, their lifespan is about 10 years. And what happens in that 10 years is absolutely unthinkable. In fact, I was going to pull up some pictures and show them to you, but they're just that gross. The muscle and the fatigue goes to these scaly rashes on the skin. They become lumps filled with pus goes into their vocal cords. Their vocal cords begin to change. Literally, the sound of the person's voice alters. The structure of the person's face begins to contort. And with a little bit of time, they're no, they no longer resemble a human being. Rather, they, they resemble a large animal, like a lion. The, the cheekbones get really, really inflamed, and, and they don't look like a person anymore. 
Their body begins to decompose, and yet they are still alive. And this is the man that is in Jesus' space. One of the most contagious diseases there is, and he comes up into the space in which Jesus occupies and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And so the question is, what does Jesus do? What does he do? Now, none of us are God, right? But just imagine for a moment that the guy comes into our church, comes to the platform, kneels before me, and says, will you lay hands on me and pray? I'm going to tell you right now I'm backing up because hand sanitizer hasn't been developed yet. And so, like, I'm moving backwards because... I want to pray for this person from a distance, not up close. I don't, I'm not going to, I don't want this disease. I'm not going to touch him. Scripture tells us that for Jesus to touch this man would have been unclean. And yet Jesus touches him. He touches him. What blows my mind is that all throughout Scripture, we, you can look through the four Gospels, and there's multiple accounts of Jesus healing people without touching them. Right? All he needed was the power of his word. In fact, Lazarus himself, Jesus speaks into a cave, and Lazarus, who's been dead for three days, comes to life through his words. Jesus doesn't need to touch anyone to heal them, so why in the world would he touch this man? Could it be possibly that the disease that this man needed healing from the most was not leprosy. Could it be that the disease was, in fact, relational poverty? A life of rejection that sometimes can only be healed by human touch, by a hug. There are people in in this room, people that will come to second service, that come to church regularly, they like the messages okay, the, the worship's fine, but they come because this may be the only place of the week in which they ever get a handshake, a hug, a high five. It's the only place of the week of any kind of human connection. When I was 17 years old, To illustrate this point, I worked at a grocery store in Roseburg, Oregon called Food World. They weren't super creative in my town. They just called it Food World. And it was a large, it was kind of, it wasn't Costco, it wasn't like a big box, but they had a, you know, they kind of prided themselves in having a lot of stuff. And and so when I was 17 years old, this is my first job. And and I get a job as as a cart guy, as as a bag boy. Uh, I was bagging groceries and stuff, but then you get to move your way up, and and I'm I'm an okay pastor, but I'm just going to tell you right now, I was a phenomenal checker. Like I was good, re- really good, 
In fact, we would have these competitions of people who, of all of the checkers to see who could check the most efficiently. I mean, when it came to canned goods, I, w- I was amazing. And listen, th- here's the other thing is no one could recall produce codes like I could. Just off the top of my, I mean, I just knew them. And so, like, we would go through, I mean, I don't, why do they even have these competitions? But they, they would have these competitions. And you know who won the best competition, or the competition for the best checker? Not me. I was one of the finalists, but I, I, I didn't win. There's this, this woman who would come through uh, my line on a, on a pretty regular basis. She's uh, about 65 years old, and, and, uh, and, and for whatever reason, I, I just took a liking to her. You know, here I am, a, a junior in high school, and, uh, and she's, she's coming through my line. And, and what I picked up on was consistently on a Saturday at 2 p.m., she was coming through my line with her grocery store, or with her groceries. She'd pay, and I would, I would just, I, you know what, for, for as quick and efficient as I was, I would stop and take my time with her because I enjoyed the conversation. And, and, and every week, Month after month, she would come. There would be people standing in my line. There would be other checkers who, who, who wouldn't have anybody in their line. She would wait in my line to come through my line. Not because I was an amazing checker, but after every time she went through my line, I, was, I would hand her her change back. I would touch her hand and say, have a great day. Later on, I asked her, why? Why would you wait in line when you could go and get this done faster? Because that's how I think. And she said, Saturdays at 2 p.m. are the only day in which I have human contact. Divorced, alone, we're wired by God for human connection. A loving touch, a loving hug can change people. As a church, that's who we are. We're not going to violate people's body spaces, but, but when someone wants a hug, we're going to give them a hug, right? For years, we, we've had this back and forth argument about whether or not we're going to be a hugging church or a non-hugging church. Do we have a set of doors where people get hugs and then a set of doors that say, leave me alone. I don't want to be touched, Right and and so you know we've gone back and forth on this whole thing and and, and we have mixed reviews at our newcomers reception. Some people like to be hugged. Somebody li- don't like to be hugged. We have even on our survey that we sent out to uh, to newcomers, to first time visitors, it says, "Did you like the hug or could you have done without the hug?" And you know and so it, but the reality is is many people come here because they're looking for a hug from Barb Finn, right? Because they just enjoy it. At the end of the day, this may be the only place in which people have human contact. We're not going to be creepy or weird, but we are going to be loving. We are going to love people with touch. Secondly, and you can write this down, we love by listening. Now, here's the thing. Most people don't listen with the intent to understand them. They listen with the intent to what? To, to respond, to reply. 
like I'm nodding my head as though I'm listening to you, as though I'm taking in, but I'm really crafting my amazing response back to you. Right? People need to be loved by listening. Jesus was a great listener. There's this story uh, where, it's just an amazing story, where, where these two men, they're walking on a street. Jesus had just been crucified, and really no one knew that he had risen. And these two men put their entire, the, the entire hopes of their lives on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. He was going to build his kingdom on earth. And they didn't understand that the, the heavenly kingdom that Jesus was building. They're walking along the road and their eternal hopes dashed. They're shot. They were depressed. They're lonely. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes alongside them. And in Luke 24, verse 17, check this out. Jesus asked them a question. He says, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened here? Now, at this moment, Jesus could have responded very, very differently. Right? They're, they're bummed, their hopes have been dashed, and all of a sudden, Jesus could have said, ta-da! Right? I'm here. I'm alive. He could have totally made their day. He, 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 could have totally, he, he could have totally turned their depression into joy. Stop being depressed. I'm here. But he doesn't do that. He, what does he do? He starts with a question. He continues with a second question. Are you the only one that is aware of what's happening to Jerusalem in these days? And Jesus says, what things? Right? He, I think that's kind of huge. Why, did, why do you think Jesus didn't just reveal himself and solve their pain? Maybe he was modeling for us that we live in a world where what people need to know is that we love them, not that we're there to answer some problem that they have. That in the midst of my discontentment and my heartbreak, someone cares enough just to say, how can I pray for you? Or tell me your story. Maybe there will be someone today as we transfer services, somebody as you're walking through the Welcome Center who, who you could go up to and just not just say, hey, how are you? Because the response will be busy. To be able to say, how are you really? Do we love by listening? Historically, I'm not very good at this. I'm the one that's thinking I can help you solve your problem. I'm a problem solver. I'm a fixer. And so when people come to me and they, they start opening up about something that's going on in their life, my response, I'm automatically already processing, I can fix this. When they don't need me to fix them, Certainly, they need the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, but they don't need me to fix them. They just need me to listen. I think it's interesting that God gave us two ears but only one mouth. Maybe he's trying to tell us that we should listen twice as much as we speak. About three years ago, I got a really difficult phone call from a family who had attended our church previously, and they just lost their husband and dad to suicide. They were, of course, devastated. I was devastated. I got in my car, went over to their house, 
all along the way praying, God, I have no idea what to say. And in only the fashion in which God could do, he, he said, say nothing. Say nothing. I'm, I'm pretty sure I said a few things when I got there, but I, I know that, I, I do know that I prayed for them when I left. But this conversation was different than any other conversation I had with a family who had lost someone. The whole time, I, I just sat there in their living room with their family. And the family sat there and they grieved and they cried and they wrestled through their disbelief and their shock. And I just listened because I didn't know what to say. There was nothing I could say that would fix their pain. Later on, after I prayed with them and left, the daughter texted me and said, you being with us today could never tell you what that meant. Everything you said was exactly what I needed to hear What's interesting is I actually didn't say anything. Sometimes we get in these situations and there are people in our lives, even right now, where the best way you could love them is to just ask open-ended questions and just listen. It's one of the greatest ways that we can love people. And Jesus modeled this for us. We love with touch. We love by listening. And then finally, we love with our time. Jesus had three and a half years of ministry, and he got, he got a lot fit into those three and a half years. He was always on the move. He was always going somewhere. He's always healing somebody. He's feeding 5,000 people. He's preaching to the multitudes. He's, he's always going and going, and yet he was never too busy that he couldn't be interrupted. One of my favorite stories, in fact, one of our values is tied to this, is, uh, is the story of uh, of the four friends who, who take their paralytic friend, their paralyzed friend, and they take him. Jesus is speaking in a house, and, and he's speaking to this group of people, and the people are like uh, pouring out of the house. It's so packed. And so they take their paralyzed friend because they know if they could just get him to Jesus that he would be healed. Go to the roof. Dig all out the roof because it would have been out of mud and clay and they dig it out, and they, they lower their friend down, in, down from the roof, down in front of Jesus, and Jesus heals him. Now, some of us, we have kids in our life, right? Some of you are leading life groups, and you've got kids running around, and it feels like an interruption. And yet, I would just say that what feels like an interruption may not be quite the interruption that you think it is. A real interruption is when someone gets on top of your roof and starts ripping off shingles and using a saw to cut through the, the rafters of your house in order to, to lower. I mean, you're, you've got an insurance claim tomorrow. That's an interruption. And that's what's happening here. He doesn't stop, Jesus doesn't stop just to make sure that point three of his message is given. He stops, he sees the man, he says his sins are forgiven, and then he says, oh, and by the way, get up and walk, and he heals them. The power of this is that sometimes we get interrupted. Whoever God puts in front of us is God's assignment to you. If we all just stepped into God's assignment, I think our entire community would 
would be met. Because we're always not too busy to take time for a divine interruption. We love people by giving them our time. There are people right now in your life, you are insanely busy. And if you think that you're busier than anyone else, it's the reality is we're all busy. And yet one of the best ways that you can love people is give them their time. I contend that in, at least in our culture, in our community, I would contend that our time is more valuable to us than our money. We like our money, we need our money, but, but if we were being honest, if somebody gave you an option to, to, to donate to something or uh, donate money to something or donate your time, it, I, let's just write a check, right? I, I can be that way. Like, I'm like, yeah, I would rather just give you some funds because I don't want to go down on a Saturday. I don't want to go on a Friday on my day off. Our time is valuable to us. And so one of the greatest things that we could do is take the very thing that is valuable and give it away to allow our life to be interrupted because we don't know the ramifications of that interruption. Don't let the urgent in our life crowd out the important. We love people. We love the lonely with touch. We, we give the best hugs of any church anywhere. And people might not come back because of it. And I don't care. We love by listening. We, we love by giving time. And it begs the question, what if it's you? What if you're the one that honestly right now you feel alone? I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to your heart even louder than my words do. That your family, it's a word that we've held on to now for about six or seven years. It's, it's that we're family. We're imperfect. We're dysfunctional at times, for sure. Some of us are better family members than others. But we have been given by God to one another to walk through difficult times. And at the end of the day, we love each other. The second thing, and probably more than the first, God loves you. He, he designed us for intimacy, not just intellectual knowledge, but intimacy with him. I want to just read Isaiah 41, and I want to read this and, and speak this over your heart. Those of you who feel alone, don't you be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. You may feel alone, but you are not alone. God, your heavenly Father, loves you. So how do we neighbor? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I was thinking about this scripture as I was, was traveling a little bit this last week, and I was, I've been on this journey for the past few weeks of, uh, and not just like this random like spiritual journey, but like a specific like structured journey with, uh, with a coach of, of really beginning to figure out 
how God has uniquely created me for a purpose on this earth. And you know what I discovered in the process? I discovered that there were things about my life that I don't like. Things that, that were given to me by God for a purpose that have downplayed in my life, things that I've kind of pushed off to the side because either I'm ashamed of them, I don't want to step into them, or I don't like them. Things that should be a blessing and a gift to others, I've not allowed to be a part of who I am. I realize that there are people who love themselves just a little too much. They think of themselves in, in just a little too high regard. I get that, but my guess is if I were to ask all of you right now, how many of you that would say, how many of you love yourself? Most, not maybe, maybe not most, but many would say, would not respond to that question. See, if we're to love our neighbors ourselves, one of the reasons we don't love other people well is because we don't love ourselves. Like if, if, the, if, the, if the language is correct there, and I believe it to be, is, is when you love somebody, you love them, you value them as much as you value yourself. The problem is, is we don't see ourselves as valuable in God's eyes, and so therefore we don't know how to value other people. That. That, that was really, really good, what I just said. And I, it wasn't even in my notes. Like, it's true. Like, we can't love people. We can't appreciate people. We can't keep our mouth shut on Facebook for even a second because we don't actually, we, we are trying to find value in so many other places because we don't see ourselves as valuable before God. It, that's where you have to start. You have to know that you are loved by God. So I want to pray with you. I don't want to give you the opportunity to respond this morning. Will you bow your heads? Father, we love you. And I, th I thank you for, for this moment right here. And I pray, God, that you would give us the ability to be honest. To be honest with ourselves, to be honest with you about where we are today. And what it is that we need. And that in, a, in an attitude of prayer today, I'm going to ask that some of you would be courageous. right? Because uh, honestly, it's, uh, what I'm about to ask is a pretty big ask. Most of the time, we find ourselves in a place where we feel lonely. And the last thing we want to do is bring attention to ourselves. And yet I think there's something spiritual about an acknowledgement of, yeah, God, this is me. I feel alone. I feel disconnected. And so for those of us in this room that would, that would just say, I'm in a place and I need the hospitality of God. I need the, the care of God's people. And I just want to admit that. Like if that's you, would you be courageous enough to stand and say, that's me? Nobody's looking around yet. That takes so much courage. 
I want to take just a moment and as much courage as it took to stand, I'm going to ask that you remain standing. I don't want the rest of us in this room to look up and to see those standing around us. Here's the thing. I was talking with the worship team before. I know this is terribly uncomfortable for you guys. And I was saying, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do this. I don't know. I was going back and forth, but I, I made the decision to do it. I want us to, to take a moment right now as the worship team plays. And if you're, stand, if you're sitting around somebody who's standing, that you would stand and you would give them a hug. Not a creepy, weird hug that you would just give him a hug. So many people sitting down, they're like, I want in on this. I need a hug. Can the rest of us stand and we're going to close our time out in this, in this song. I'll come back up. We'll receive our offering. You can begin to get that ready. Here's the thing. We don't just gather together to sing songs, to, to hear a message that honestly... I don't want to tell you this because you might stop coming, but you can get a better message online at any moment of the day. It's not why you come here. I know this. I've dealt with this in my own insecurities. You don't come here because this is the best worship because you can put on Hillsong or Bethel or any other worship in your car. You could do that, and it will be better than these guys. No offense. No offense, it will be. It's not why we gather here today. We gather so that you can actually interact with another human being. And even if you don't feel lonely, somebody else does. You can make a difference in someone else's life. Let's sing.